This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. About two minutes past the hour of nine o'clock, you're on 3RRR. This is Radio Marinara. I'm Anthony Boxshaw. Yeah, I'm Dr Beach. And you're on the... How, try that again. I'm Dr Beach. I'm Dr Beach. <laughs> I, can, I can now hear myself. There's jugs on my ears and I felt like I was in a muffled box. <laughs> Thanks, Anthony. You are indeed. Good morning, Dr Beach. Good morning, Dr Boxshaw. You're in uh, flying spirits. I am. Yeah, me too. Father's nice. Day. Happy Father's Day. Well, same to you. I know. And we're... same to all those other fathers and mothers out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Look after your dads. Yeah. No, do. Look after everyone. Look after you your mobs. Yeah, look after good. your kids. Yeah. Make yeah. everyone a cup of tea. <laughs> no one made me a cup of tea this morning. Anyone make you a cup of tea this morning? You're kidding. No. No, me neither. I was out of bed too early. I made They're myself a cup of tea. The dog came and said hello. That was about it. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell by the... That that was Happy Father's Day, helped. <laughs> yeah. Got out of one bed and got into another. <laughs> You're on Radio Marinara. We are going to wander our way through the wonders of the marine and coastal environment this morning with a whole bunch of stuff. I, lots of news. We're going to kick off with a bunch of news. Yep. Lots of science and a few other kind of things going on. And then about halfway through the show... We're going to get on the horn to Alex Rattray, who is to, speaking to us from Fair Warrnambool. We'll see how the weather is down in Warrnambool. Oh, I'd be blowing a gale. I would imagine <laughs> it always is. Alex is going to talk to us about a um, an archive which has been set up by him and others to store lots of marine mapping data. 
we've had um, Daniel Iridiakonu on this show before, and I think we, we even had Alex on about five years ago, I think. <coughs> oh, oh, Pardon he's me. Dying. It's Father's a bit Day. Of, bit of a Father's Day cough. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a very interesting development, and it's a funny thing that Connor doesn't exist already. But let's get to that. We talked to Alex, and then after then, um, I was privileged enough to be at Government House on Friday. Lady da. Yeah, lady da. With uh, young Timothy Allen. So for long term. Right, our Marinara listeners, you'll remember Tim. Back and, in the uh, um, three Seattle's. Back, back in the day. Well, even before we came to AAA, yes. Back in the day. Anyway, and we were there because uh, the Land Care Awards are on, the Victorian Land Care Awards, mm-hmm. and the Coast Care category. And we're going to interview the winners today, and that is the uh, Friends of Beware Reef won the category. And Don Love, the great Don Love from way down Gibby Way, is going to join us towards the end of the show and have a chat about what, what beer we will ever what Beware Reef is. Beware Reef. Yeah. It's got a good name. It has got a very good name. Do you know why it's called that? Uh, perhaps it's sharp and spiky. It's got to be aware. And you, it you, you, comes you, out of the middle you, of nowhere. You, you get smashed onto it when you're surfing. <laughs> yep. And I think the reason... Oh, God, I'm getting this image of bloody knees and Let's thighs and hands. Oh, no, no, as in boats. Oh, boats. As in ships. It's like a reef. Ships. It's off Point Hicks. Anyway, we'll have a chat to... Um, for Cape Conran, sorry, we'll have a chat to Don. He can tell us all about it because he's dived it a lot of times. Down Croaching Long. It is just on the edge of it, yeah, right down there. Right. It's actually more Cape Conran. Oh, is so Cape Conran's not in Croaching Long National Park? I, don't, I think it's its own park, isn't it? I don't know. I think Obviously it is. not. Yeah, I'm it asking is. questions. No, it is. Let, let's ask Don. Let's ask Someone Don. Someone text us or call us or Facebook so us. So that will be the last us. segment will of indeed. the program. It will. Now, I got the sense this morning that it's got warmer. In the weather. And then I saw the weather forecast last night for the next few days and I thought, no, I'm wrong. It's a false spring. So what's the weather doing today? It's 17 degrees out there right now. In it fact, is it's not. about 16.7 before. It, it, yeah, it's bloody warm. But as you said... <laughs> isn't that, it's, it's so Anthony. relative, isn't it, Dr Beach? It's bloody warm. Well, it is for this time. It feels like, you know, I've, I no longer have to wear three layers of clothes. But I tell you what, I'm going to have to put them back on tomorrow. It's going to be 12 degrees tomorrow. Hang on, so tomorrow's high is going to be lower than last night's low? Yep. <laughs> love it. Yep. yep. I yeah, love it. 12, 12 to 17 degrees today, partly cloudy. High chance of showers, most likely in the morning. Chance of a thunderstorm. I love the chance of a thunderstorm. Risk of a thunderstorm. Yeah, how big? So. How big it is? Uh, I don't know. The Sunday age is not telling me. I should be on my weather app. Uh, chance of a thunderstorm in the late morning. Winds north 35 to Ooh. 50k. Oh, that's turning, what it feels like. Turning northwest 25 to 40k during the morning. So the surf's going to be crap. Um, <laughs> tomorrow is going to be a minimum of eight, maximum of 12. Shower or two. Possible hail. Risk of hail. <laughs> Chance for thunderstorm again with possible hail. Yeah, um, it's just appalling. Only about one millimetre of rain, but on Tuesday yeah, yeah. it's going to be five to twelve again <laughs> with possible hail, two millimetres. Um, Wednesday seven to thirteen, so it's getting oh, up to a balmy thirteen with a yeah. shower or two. <laughs> Thursday fifteen degrees, and then so you know that's got us back up to fifteen degrees on Thursday. Oh, but on Friday back down to fourteen degrees. <laughs> I've got a couple of friends who are up in Darwin at the it. moment. And if you look uh, at the weather yeah. forecast for Darwin at the moment, for this whole week, it is 21 degrees to 33 degrees and sunny. I kid you <laughs> not, it does not vary. Yeah, but Whereas you couldn't here, really, you couldn't live with that. Not if you grew up with this. I had a friend who, went in after, after uni, moved up to Brisbane. And Brisbane is basically in winter, 23, and in summer, 30. Yeah, that was it. 
You know, that's just it. It's two, I spent, two I, degrees. I all spent year. the first six years of my life in Brisbane. I remember my mother saying in winter, I would just love for a wet, rainy day. <laughs> so, 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 John, when he's living up there, at one point I was talking to him and he said, It's killing me, this weather. And I said, What do you mean? It's killing you. And he said, It never changes. Yeah, it's boring. And I said, You're a Melbourne boy. And that's why we love Melbourne. But no, for no, those who we... are regular listeners, they'll be wondering, He hasn't read out the tides. What's he, happening with you know the tides? What? It's funny because I just, I, there was a text just then. <laughs> Facebook lit up, up. the the socials lit up. Uh, So high tide is in, well, high tide's in two minutes, actually. Where? 10 past nine at Lonnie at the heads. Yeah, that'll be hard. That'll be hard for us to get get there. Well, it will. And, well, at Williamstown, which is easy for us to get to, um, high high tide's going to be at, well, it says high tide's going to be at 12.30 p.m. So high tide has already happened. No, that's a.m. Low tide at Williamstown. Was at five thirty eight. Oh, there we go. And high tide at Point Lonsdale is at nine ten a.m. So, listeners, what you can hear is Doctor Veach trying to deconstruct the matrix that is the tide table live on air. It's difficult. Oh, they're hard. Those it's things. Only, it's only nine minutes past nine and eighteen seconds. So, yeah, my, my, my minuscule brain is yet to start. Firing hey, up. and thank you to everybody who is who is getting there payments through if you didn't pay live during the ra- during radiothon you know you've got till when is it september the oh, it's up here somewhere on the wall oh it is it's up uh, here. 5 p.m wednesday the 20th of september and and the reason that that is an important time and date is because if you got daily prizes if or if you subscribe then you're in for daily prizes you're in for the big prizes you're in for all the other stuff and but you only got that if you if you actually paid yeah. So from that point on, everybody who's paid goes into the drawer and bam, and the I'll, world of riches arises. It, all, all of it will um, descend upon you. That sounds bad. But I, I would like to take this opportunity to thank everybody oh, for subscribing. Yes. We had we had a really fun radiothon and oh, we brilliant. had lots of people clearly listening and clearly joining us and clearly getting on board for the whole station. And it was Not fantastic. only us, but the whole yeah, station. Yeah. I mean, the station has, yet again, just shows the power, I think, of subscription-based community radio in a city of the size of Melbourne. You know, you just think, if you calculate out, I think we're still one of the per capita best subscribed public radio stations globally. You know, just, you know, just because, and, and people in Melbourne, you're wonderful. Yeah, you are. And we will say no more about Radiothon because no, you were sick of Radiothon because yeah, it happened for done, 10 days. You're on Radio Marinara on 3RRR. It is, what is that, called past nine. It's Father's Day. So Dr Beach and I are in here being fathery types. Well, I did, yeah, I, 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 I guess so. But it's yeah, like yeah, a yeah, Radio thing, isn't it? It's the show about all things wet and salty. Now tell me, what have you been, you've got a really interesting <sighs> little piece of science. I've I got a paper here which has just appeared in print version in Nature on Thursday, but it appeared online about two weeks ago and received a lot of press for very good reason. The reason I want to talk about it again now is that I had a couple of phone calls from people who said to me, huh, and the title of this paper, well the title, well, the title of the paper is The Rise of Algae and Cryogenian Oceans and the Emergence of Animals. So it was a letter to nature okay, from a group. Rise of algae in very old oceans. In, in cryogenian oceans. Well, I don't know what a which, cryogenian ocean That's is. around 600, 650 million oh, years those ago. those ones. Yeah, yeah sure. Really, yeah. really old. Mm. Cryogenian means like between ice ages. Oh. So cryo, oh, I thought the ice, per, I thought cold. that was the Permian back there. But is that like between the ice ages in the Permian, that's when these things came up? Oh, 
you got me pinned down no, here. Cry- right. Cryogenian is around 650 million years yeah. ago and it happens to be between two ice ages. Okay. Um, the title says, and the emergence of animals. Right. So these people at ANU... Yeah, it was good. all over the news. It was on ABC News, yeah. flat out for the morning. Um, Jochen Brox and Amber Janet or Janet or Janet, something like that, um, and their colleagues from ANU mm-hmm. did a very interesting experiment. So these people are from the School of Earth Sciences. And people, and by people I mean phycologists, scientists. Phycologists, by the way, are people who do what? Who study algae. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, had proposed that algae, phytoplankton, big cells in the ocean, popped up in the fossil record around 600, 500 million years ago. They weren't so sure. These people came and kind of nailed this by looking at rocks, very smart bit of geochemistry, if you like, looking at rocks. And they could trace signatures of fats, lipids from algae in rocks 650 million so years on. ago. So inside the algae, there are these little fats, these little lipids, yep. and they are when when the algae kind of like you know and, and end up on the bottom of the ocean and, and get whatever, all squished and, and get all squished, you can see the signature of the lipids, the fats left over in the fossil record, and then you know those ones have come from algae. Yeah, very cool. It's and that's how short, they traced them. They traced it. Okay, and they showed that at around 650 million years ago, in fact, a 10 million year window that all of a sudden, bang, you get the appearance appearance of algae, big okay. phytoplankton, sure. which are doing photosynthesis flat out. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. Now, these are cells which oxygen. are quite big. Yeah, yeah. But for two billion years before that, there were also what we call blue-green algae, yes. which are actually bacteria. Yep. So they're much tiny. They're only about a micron in size. They're, they doing, they're doing photosynthesis as well. Yep. And, in fact, they're the ones really that, that kicked off the whole oxygen in the they atmosphere sure were, thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. And yep. if it weren't for oxygen in the atmosphere, and we would not be here. existing things, stromatolites over in Western Australia, are blue-green algae, aren't they? Yes. Yes. Traces of blue-green. So well, yeah, no, yeah, they, they, they are li- the live stromatolites yeah, yeah. which have blue-green algae yep. in them. People were very interested in when the eukaryotic algae, and by that I mean the algae, as opposed to the bacteria. Yeah, like we think about now. Green and and red things, diatoms, dinoflagellates, words that we've used on this program before. These people at Canberra were able to show that they took off at that period by tracing stuff in the rocks, the fats. Yeah, really beautiful. Why? why? Was there more sunlight? (laughs) Well, why is the interesting (laughs) thing. They were able to then trace this what, or match this up with like, they kind of put forward this theory which sounds really good in fact it is really good yeah. that there was a melting there was glaciation all this yeah, glacial right. stuff it was, it was the snowball earth melted yep. at that right. time so after yep, 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 yep. and that chucked a whole lot of nutrients into the ocean including oh. a big spike in phosphorus okay these people are saying that, well, in fact, they've shown... Phosphorus, as we know, still now is a limiting nutrient, nutrient for in most the ocean. Yeah. yeah. So with lots of phosphorus in the ocean, bang, you get these other things taking off. Very cool. And then from that we have the emergence of animals. About, of course. Starting about 50, 100 million years later. Yeah. So they are tracing that to this event. Oh, that makes sense to me. What's the problem here? The problem <laughs> is that when it was reported... it. it, it a lot of people misinterpreted the the ABC News right. as saying that algae gave rise to animals directly. I like what you mean, like the algae evolved and the animals evolved from the algae. Exactly, oh, a direct line. Me. So, right. for example, I had my big of brother course. on the phone to me straight away saying, "What's this I hear on radio? You've been telling me for years that you know 
blah, 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 because I like to share things with my family. And they all kind and, of glaze over I, like I, mine I, do. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So I had to set him straight. He said, oh, that makes perfect sense. So it's I, because any- the animals just had something to eat, didn't they? They had more to right. eat. Exactly. Because they were yes. tra- tracking along doing their little thing, evolving out of their little primordial ooze yep. separately. They had and more all to of a sudden, and it's they, like a deli out there. Yeah, it's like a deli. Yeah. But the other thing they also oh, had is they, wow. had, they had more to breathe. There was yes. more oxygen in yep. the atmosphere. And this is something, there's, there's a little thing called a news and views, so perspectives in nature on this very article. So it's a tiny little review of one page, which kind of prefaces this paper. And that person who is writing that news and views, Andrew Knoll from Harvard, is saying, yeah, great paper, fantastic, but, you know, there's also the oxygen to think about as yeah, well. Yeah, so yeah. once you get all this photosynthesis yeah, happening... Much more photosynthesis, you get much more oxygen in the atmosphere. Animals like oxygen, we needed to breathe to do what we call cellular respiration. So, bang. So, you've got the phosphorus in the ocean, yeah. and you've got the oxygen, which makes everything go zoop, until eventually you have numbskull species such as us evolving on the planet. <laughs> who think we evolved from the algae. Yeah. Who th- uh, so, we did it, not evolve directly from the I'm algae, but rather we. Ev- you know, we were able to take off and exploit the earth to the unreasonable <laughs> extent that we now do because there were algae in the ocean making uh, oxygen providing food and, and making oxygen. How very cool. I, you know, I hadn't made that kind of leap that, that obviously some people had and it just goes to show, I suppose, when, you know, particularly mainstream media, you get the headline, then you get the kind of story and then all of a sudden, you know, you don't yep. do off that, don't do the rest of the tale. That's Good right. science communication needs to go right through. In other words, you have to listen to Radio Marinara to get the it's, full it's story. On. It's spot on. Hey, I want to talk about something that um, Dr Shane um, posted on our, um, or reflected onto our Facebook site on Friday, I think, from the Australian Seabird Research Centre, which is right up in the north coast of New South Wales. And um, <clears throat> if you all remember, like, you know, the, the, there was a, a number of tragic shark attacks leading to deaths and injuries in northern New South Wales kind of about a year ago. Ballina area, wasn't yep. it? And we've always talked about the statistics around sharks. You do know that in Australia you are 300 times, in Victoria you are 300 times more likely to get killed by the car. In the car on the way to the beach you are by a shark at the beach. But anyway, so... There were an, an, a series of shark attacks and they were real and people got injured. And so one of the responses that um, the Department of Primary Industry up there took was to do a shark net trial, mm-hmm. which there was an enormous amount of local opposition, but there was also a whole lot of people who said, oh, yes, please, can we do that? So the results are in. There were no shark attacks on humans in that period. So that's an important point. And if an objective of the trial was to do that, that's fine. That were so during the shark net trial, trial period, there, there were, were no, no shark, shark attacks, attacks on humans. People. Yep, that that's important. Okay. Okay, I'll put that in the back of my mind. Yep. Now, of course, there had been large chunks of six-month periods previously and since, where that's also the case without shark net trials. But anyway, <laughs> and then what's happened is the target species of this were great whites, tiger sharks, and bull sharks, of which seven were involved. Um, the fate of four unknown, sorry, four were dead. You know, that, you know that's mm-hmm. what happens. There's drum nine lines and shark nets. And um, three, they got tangled and we don't know. Maybe they died, maybe they didn't. And then they produced this really interesting piece of information that shows the bycatch. <laughs> so if we're the talking, collateral damage. The collateral damage of this. So we're talking seven of the target species, five, five, four killed, three, we don't know, and 260. 70-something bycatch. And that includes grey nurse, dolphins, manta rays, loggerhead turtles, green sea turtles, eagle rays, something like about seven, six, uh, 40 
a guitar fish, non-target shark species that are, you know, various fish, mobile rays, hammerheads, co- crown, uh, cow nose rays, on it goes. Um, and the numbers are enormous. And so you've got to start to wonder. You do have to where, start to wonder. And, I'm, and I'm, like, I'm not suggesting for the people of Ballina that, you know, uh, you need to get out there and get taken by sharks. But I just, you know, where is the balance between when we say these kinds of things hit that many non-target species? Yeah. Is it worthwhile? So if you could target the species better, maybe. And, uh, anyway, they're about to start a second trial. With a different kind of net? Mm, little bits of changes, but um, to try and bring down the bycatch. But What can you possibly do? <sighs> can you have more monitoring of nets to let things... Yeah. The, the, or globally, there are many studies that show that those things are just about as effective as not doing anything at all. That's right. And the reason there are more shark deaths is that there are more, more people in the water. And the only major difference that happens when you do these things is you end up with more bycatch. That's dying. right. And you're more likely to get electrocuted by Christmas lights as you are. Well, you are. Yeah, you're eight times more likely in the US. You're eight times more likely to die from badly wired Christmas tree lighting than shark attacks. Um about four years ago, we had um, Dr. Alex Rattray on this program, on this fair program, Randy Marinara, talking to us about a marine mapping project which was happening out of Warrnambool at Deakin University. Um, and we now have Alex back on the blower to talk about a new database which is being set up to accumulate all this data and to share it with people. So, Alex, are you there? Good morning. I'm here. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Dr. Beach. How are you going, Alex? G'day, Alex. <laughs> Before we get on to what's happening now, I just mentioned this marine mapping program, which you came on and talked about in 2013. Since that time, you have been overseas. Can you just tell us very, very quickly about the marine mapping and what's been happening and then what you did overseas? And then we'll come back to talking about this new database you have. Okay, well, the marine mapping has been going um, been going gangbusters. We've, uh, um, we've upgraded our... our, our, um, our we have a new vessel here at Deakin. We've got new sensors. We've got new uh, video cameras. So we've been feverishly collecting marine data whenever we can. Uh, we've got a number of projects going on at the moment um, with four PhD students currently looking at marine mapping. Cool. And the marine mapping is where you're taking videos, you're taking sonars, all sorts of stuff to literally map the sea floor. But it's not just yeah. the geology, is it? It's also the biology. You're getting videos no, down there. It certainly is the biology, Dr. Beach. We're looking at, um, we, we look at the video and we look at what's actually there on the sea floor at a particular point in space. And then we relate that back to all of these. Um, some of them are geological features. Some of them are, uh, uh, we look at ocean temperature. We look at, uh, we look at exposure, so exposure to currents and things like that. And we create these models of, um, of seafloor communities um, across the coastline. So, Alex, are you slowly but surely piecing together this jigsaw across the entire coastline? And, and, and if so, like how, how much, like what's the proportion of Victoria's coastal waters have you got mapped now? Uh, currently, we've got about thirty percent of Victorian coastal waters. Wow! Um, it's it's, uh, it's 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 a lot. We've got about I, I think it's somewhere in the vicinity of two thousand square kilometres mapped. Um, and the uh, resolution sure. is it? You know, is that down to you know, like you can literally tell, I don't know, ten centimetre blocks if you needed to right along the coast. What what's there? Not qu- not quite ten centimetre, but we're talking on the on the um, in in the realm of sort of metres to tens of metres. Wow! So, it's, um, it's, it's pretty highly resolved in terms of what we do. And you've come across shipwrecks and all sorts of stuff, haven't you? 
We have. We've um, there's a, some really interesting days. We've uh, we, we've we've imaged a number of shipwrecks. We've imaged a um, uh, World War II shipwreck off Cape Otway, um, the USS Rayville, and we've imaged uh, uh, another one at Wilson's Prom, um, which went down the late 1800s, um, the SS Carpentaria. And were these sites were they known, or you know, the, the area was known, but the exact site was known, or was it you know it was exactly known, and you just happen to have good images now? Uh, we just most of the sites were known in, in, in general, the general vicinity was known, but now we have a, a really sort of a, a pinpoint position and a really good image of, of, of those shipwrecks. Yeah. yeah. So what you're doing is assembling like a Google Earth of the seafloor on the Victorian coast. It's fantastic. Uh, that's exactly it. Um, and the, the, this current project, the Victorian um, Marine Data Portal, we're actually looking at, 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 at putting all of this because we're not the only people collecting this information. There are there are various government departments and other universities, um, other institutions who are collecting this kind of information. And what we're working on now is trying to uh, trying to bring all this together in one single database, a cohesive database, um, so that we we can even get a better picture of the seafloor. Indeed, which is why I've got you on the show today because, yeah, you've just released a presser saying that, that, as you mentioned, there are lots of different people. The Navy, I would imagine, would be involved in this as well as CSIRO who have got all these different chunks of data and you're now putting them all in the one place. Is that correct? Well, well, that's right. And and there is a lot of information out there, a lot of data out there, but um, it's it's been collected by big organisations, as you mentioned, the Navy and CSIRO. uh, and universities, but as you know, um, institutions get restructured, um, people move around a lot, so... People get really sacked, concentra- all sorts of stuff. <laughs> people get sacked. What we're really concentrating on is just trying to trying to get everything together while we can, while everyone still has a memory of where everything is. Um, uh, because it really, I mean, it, it, it's... Um, it, it, uh, there is there is the risk of losing this data if it, if it if it's improperly stored. Um, some of the, some of the information you have is still on VHS tapes. So <laughs> it's uh, like the old family we, photos. You feel like it, it, or, or, or tapes. Yeah, you've got to transfer them to something, otherwise they're well, going to be lost for generations to come. That's exactly what they are. They're, they're our um, they're our state marine family photos, if you like, and we, we can't replace them. So um, these various different types of media have a have a have a shelf life. Yeah, um, they degrade over time. So. Um, we're working really hard to get that information digitised and into a central repository. I was just going to say, does it go back to some of those, you know, aerial photos of the coast from the, you know, I don't know, the 1940s and 1930s when they would fly along with black and white cameras and hang out planes and take shots, you know, which are just sitting there as actual photos. And That's is exactly it, it? Yeah, yeah. So you're looking for people to bring out those things and get them into in, digitised and into the system. Uh, we're not going. We're, we're not. Uh, we're not spreading a net that wide at the moment. Uh, we're concentrating on on more on on, on uh, more modern, spatially resolved data sets, mainly mainly from the late eighties, early nineties through till now. So there's a lot of a lot of marine video which needs to be looked at. There's a lot of um, there are a lot of uh, survey data that needs to be looked at and brought together. So have you been able to find VHS players to actually go back and look at this well, material, for example, or floppy drives? Or it, eBay is a fantastic thing, Dr Beach. We, um, <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's the players, it's all the cords that connect them together. Oh, the cable, <laughs> the bloody cable. Oh. Yeah, fire wire and all sorts of things. So we, we, it's been a bit of a detective mission, but it's been a lot of fun. And I love this too because, of course, you know, there'll be people out there who'll be going, what do you mean? That, that's the technology I grew up with, you know. Like, But then there'll be all these students, these PhDs who don't actually recall VHS and Beta and the walls between them and don't recall the fact that you had different plugs for everything. That, I'm getting this image oh, of, well, of, 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 of Alex of you rooting around in cardboard boxes with dusty cardboard boxes. In garage sales. Cable. Garage sales, yeah. Scored! Look at this! I'm so being a little bit flippant. <laughs> and so tell, tell us, Eric, so, so then you, you put all this stuff in, you digitise, it goes into kind of the cloud somewhere, but it's ordered in some way and it's kind of collated in some way and it's a bit like kind of this massive library. And then does it link to something national, you know, because is New South Wales doing the same? Is Queensland doing the same? you got like, is there a bigger kind of thing that we're sk- there sticking is, into? There is. There's, 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 there's an organisation called the Australian Observation Data Network, uh, which looks after these really big national data sets. Um, and so we're a node of them. We're just we're just looking after, but we're we're a Victorian case. We're just looking in particular at, at anything we can find about the Victorian coastline. Cool. Uh, since we spoke to you in twenty, well, last time we spoke to you, we had you in the studio in twenty thirteen. You were telling us about the the early days, I guess, of the marine mapping that was happening out of Warrnambool. But since then, you've been travelling, haven't you? You've been working in Italy, I believe. Was that, was that part of this marine mapping theme that you now have in your life, your career? Well, in a way, it was, and in a way, this is this has been a precursor to the to, to, to the work we're doing now to get this data together. I worked on a on a, on a pan Mediterranean project with fifteen countries and two hundred and fifty institutions. I'm look, looking at the connectivity of Mediterranean marine protected areas. Um, so, as part of that project, we had to collect all of this information on on um, you know held by all these different researchers and institutions uh, across the Mediterranean, and it took us probably 18 months just to contact everyone and um, um, get these data sets we were looking for. So we created a similar database for Mediterranean marine data. So this is almost a training ground for what you're doing now, right now, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, we just want to... Um, really, it's about making things easier for those people who come after us. Yeah. Um, it's about, about providing a central clearing point for all of this really valuable information um, that hopefully one day someone really smart can put together, you know, we can continue this, 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 this theme of, of, uh, of putting this together and getting a really good idea of, of, of what we actually have on our, in our coastal region and, and how those things are changing over time. So, so essentially is the strategy you guys have, you're building this, you've, you know, you're connecting it through to the big national thing, you're building it, you're setting the rules and then you're pretty much inviting all those groups who have these data sets to upload them. Is that kind of the approach? Uh, absolutely. That will be that. That's the end game at the moment. We're 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 um we're getting everything we can. We have a lot of data at the moment that we're, we're frantically sort of um, cataloguing and archiving uh, and putting onto the system. Um, but uh, what we're looking at is developing into into a into a resource that people can just do that. They can just hook in and they can upload their data straight um, themselves. That's fantastic. And because I because I suddenly as you guys were going through CSIRO and the Navy etc., I was thinking about what about um, you know commercial and mining operations. You know, there's a, there's be a whole lot of or, or um, fisheries operations where there'd be a whole lot of data that would have been collected for a particular purpose. There would have been mapping, I don't know, fish habitats or it might have been mapping, you know, potential mining leases. Um, that kind of stuff, you know, whoever they might have used it, they might have done, it's finished, they've done whatever they've done now. You know, that, that would seem to be a gold mine for you. 
Oh, you're absolutely right. I've no doubt that there's a, there's a wealth of information out there, but uh, unfortunately at the moment, the, those industries don't work under open data policy. So, um, you know, that, that would be up to them to come forward and, and to, to volunteer that data to us. We, we, um, we're currently working with uh, government institutions and universities who are moving towards this policy of having um, their data accessible to everyone, so accessible to all the marine science community and the general public and um, uh, more broadly. Yeah, I was, about, I was about to say, Alex, is there any, anyone who has not given you information, given you information? So, for example, the Navy say, no, you're not getting Sector 13 off the <laughs> Portland Sector coast because no. we suspect an alien ship <laughs> came up out of the Earth's crust oh, there. And, the yeah. Area 51, wouldn't it? Or area 51, <laughs> whatever it's called. Yeah. Well, no, we have, no spaceships have come up yet. But, uh, I'll certainly hope some do. That would be very interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, everyone's been everyone's been fantastic. Uh, we, we've had just amazing cooperation between between all of these um, um, all of these organisations involved, um, and it's been it's been a really uh, well, we've really in, in, in that respect we've also built up these uh, these relationships between these organisations too. Yeah. Um, so there's a definitely a, definitely a, an air of trust. One last quick one, Alex. I, I just, um, you know, one of the things about the different uses, and, you know, commercial, like I, I kind of, you know, whatever, I can understand that, but I kind of, you know, roll my eyes a bit. But I do wonder sometimes there are real reasons why there might be custodians of particular um, areas that don't want things public. And I'm thinking particularly, of course, all of Victoria's coastal and marine environment is someone's sea country. And in some cases, it's only, it's, it was country, you know, for Aboriginal groups 10,000 years ago, 12,000 years ago, last I say. And so there may be areas that that are important areas to like Aboriginal groups who do not want that information public. And I and it's a really interesting kind of challenge, I think, particularly in a place Victoria where so much of their history has been lost. How we kind of go with our modern open data policies and the kind of genuine respect for people's country. Um, which is different, I think, to a commercial proposition. Have you kind of come across those notions or are we still so early on in discovering connecting sea country to, to country that we're not really sure where to go with it? Uh, we're still at very early stages. Uh, we're, 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 at the moment, we're just, um, we really are just fi- um, working out what's there. We're just cataloguing everything. So uh, that's a very important consideration. Um, and it's something that, something that the world will look at and, and, and I think the broader community needs to look at as well. Yeah, oh, fantastic. One last question for me, Alex. When can I get the app on my phone so that I can search for um, where I want to go exactly on the seafloor off the Victoria the, Coast? The, the, we have access to an amazing amount of technical wizardry um, uh, here at Deakin, but uh, the phone app might be a little while off. They're, they're reasonably big data sets, some of them. So uh, uh, go, Google will buy you out be before too be long. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Alex Rattray from Deakin University at Warrnambool, thank you very much for coming on Radio Marinara and talking about this important marine data mapping database. Um, we'll right, talk to you and on. Okay. Bye, Bye, Alex. Thanks. Anyway, on Friday... On Friday, I frocked up and uh, like a whole lot of other people and, and headed off into Government House for the um, <clears throat> the Victorian Coast Care Awards, which is a very swish event, and met, uh, met Tim Allen there, who, of course, from uh, another Radio Marinara founder. But we were there because, well, we were there to support all of the wonderful volunteers, but we were there in particular because there was a Coast Care Award and the Coast Care Award went to the Friends of Beware Reef and the convener or president or El Presidente of uh, Friends of Beware Reef, or 
or just the general person who runs the shop. Don Love joins us this morning from East Gippy. G'day, Don. How are you? Good morning to you. Yes, it's a very beautiful morning up here. Is it? Oh, you're kidding, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm looking out over my property for a mile to the north and I'm sitting in the sunshine as hardly a breath of wind. It's about 19 degrees. Oh, fantastic. Well, you've got the pick of the weather in Victoria today. I guess we have. <laughs> hey, now, congratulations. You guys have um, scored, I think, what a, a, another. I think you guys are starting to rack up your awards, and, and rightly so, because Friends of Beware Reef has been working tirelessly volunteering. You know, you guys started doing citizen science before citizen science was called citizen science. When did you guys kick off doing Friends of Beware Reef? Uh, well, Friends of Beware Reef, we're just about 12 years old now. Um but uh, after we'd uh, formed, uh, we were uh, sort of parks approached us and said, oh, the Uni of Tassie is starting up this reef life survey, um, you know, um, methodology, and um, we'd like to be involved. So we got a free trip over to Flinders Island, seven days diving, and, of course, what man wouldn't want to go over <laughs> free trip? So, and that was the beginning of it, and... Um, yeah, it was. It's turned out to be a wonderful, wonderful uh, journey so far. And and you can let's. Where is for those who don't know, where is Beware Reef? Uh, Beware Reef. Uh, if you go up to Orbost, uh, which is about two hours away from me, uh, you go up there and turn off and go down to Marlow along the Snowy River, and then there's a little coast road to go up place called Cape Conran, and that's where we chuck our boat in. It's a uh, you know an ocean ramp and. Um, then it's about 5k out to the southeast of Cape Conran. Just a bit of rock sticking up and above the surface, and um, the majority of the reef sort of underwater, of course. And, yeah. and it's good. We were having a discussion earlier, Dr. Beach and I, about why it might be called Beware Reef, and because most of that area around there is nice flat sandy bottoms and then there's this big rock sticking up. Is it because there used to be kind of ships would hit it? Yes, uh, well, they didn't use to hit it, they did hit it, um, <laughs> yes. There's three sh- shipwrecks there, the uh, Auckland, uh, the Ridge Park and the trawler called the Brolga. And, um, yeah, we extensively dived on them and mapped them many years ago. That's with our first project, actually, was mapping it, but, you know, I was a sort of historian and mad about shipwrecks, but... Um, I still am, but I've moved on. I was going to say, Don, you're underselling yourself there. Don Love is one of Victoria's great historic shipwreck um, um, heritage people. So, you know, you you don't undersell yourself there, Don. (laughs) Don, it's Dr Beach here. Uh, Congratulations on the award. Anthony's been uh, telling me about it. It's a a beautiful thing. But can you tell me a little bit about Beware Reef, what it looks like. You've obviously been fascinated about it for a long, fascinated with it for many years. When you're under the water and you're diving over it, can you describe it for me? Um, yeah, well, um, you know, I've dived the whole reef. It extends about, uh, I think it's about a kilometre and a half or so to the southeast, and uh, there's many facets of it. Uh, probably the main place you sort of dive is the, the um, drying rock area, which is, you know, probably an acre of drying rock about two to three metres above water and um, yeah we usually park somewhere around there especially because of the wind but uh, yeah it, 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 the, the problem is that the place has changed so much um, when I first dived it uh, it was just covered in kelp and marine life and that and then unfortunately about eight years ago um, with that 
horrible word, climate change, um, the oceans became warm enough for a northern species of sea urchin, uh, long-time sea urchin, to uh, just go ballistic in population growth, and they actually trashed the whole bottom of a lot of the reef, and it's bare rock. But um, it's now making a little bit of a bounce back, and um, I'm getting really excited about that from this... You know, it's gone from, like, the underwater Eden to actually a bare desert, and now it's little remnants of stuff are coming back again. So we're going to be heavily involved in monitoring that, you know, photographically and stuff too. So, But uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful place, but it's a real confronting dive, um, as we found out late last year. So, you know, it's um, not a real place I'd recommend people that aren't experienced to go to. So, But it is a seriously beautiful spot. I think what the story you're just telling us there is one of the powerful things about your involvement and John and others in in Friends of Bowie Reef who've been doing, you know, you guys probably were part of the reason why the thing became a marine sanctuary because you'd been out there mapping the ships and the things beforehand um, and, and in fact, you know, you may not claim that but, that, you know, I think the knowledge that you guys built historically about that site probably put it on the map as a marine sanctuary and then, of course, over those years you've seen those changes and those data sets wouldn't exist without people like yourselves going out there and doing it and who were the core of Friends of Beware Reef? Um, well, it's, it's, it's basically three of us that do the, the bulk of the diving, but it's probably another handful of people that come, you know, every every few times sort of thing. But the trouble is, um, you know, sort of John Arians, he's the elder states and he's 75, and he had a lot to do with setting up that, that, that as a marine sanctuary in the first place. Yep. And then Alan Wilkins, he's the um, other guy plus myself, and Mike Irvine comes out occasionally as a park ranger, but we've got a lot of, you know, our, you know, uh, our son Mike comes out from time to time. My son Ben's come out from time to time. The partner that passed away, she used to come out regularly. Uh, and there's a few other girls that come out from time to time. And uh, but the big problem with our group is we're a small group, but um, we're retirees, so... You know, if it's going to be a good day, what does a retiree do? Drop everything, go tight, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, in the, in the real world, people can't do that. So we're a bit hamstrung. You know, you can't just say to people, oh, we're going diving on a weekday and um, they can come. So, so, so you're looking for... You're looking for some slightly younger people, you know, maybe in their 50s and 40s who can drop everything <laughs> and head out and you can pass on the knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, we get young... You know, like we had a young guy come to South Africa and came out and he wanted to be involved, but then he got a job, so... He's kind of <laughs> away from where we are, so, you know, you know, it's just, it's just a hassle, you know, uh, to, you know, to get people there because diving's a very... It's uh, oh, it's a it's a funny, funny profession to be in because you know you got thousands and thousands of dollars worth of gear, and um, you know it's so weather dependent, tide dependent, and stuff like that that a lot of people just don't even think about. But 
you know, you get down as a three-metre roll running and it's, you know, you get down 80 feet and it's still white water sort of thing, you start to think, well, uh, what am I doing down here? <laughs> I don't, indeed. Uh, Don, you make it sound so inviting. I, I, seriously, I, we've, got to, we've got to thank you again. I think the, the work that you guys have done and John Aaron's, as you mentioned, and others over the years has really created a long-term data set that is not only helping the management of that site but helping the understanding of climate change and the spread of things like the the long-spined urchin and other things through Victoria that wouldn't have happened. And I think it was a really worth... You guys are really worthy recipients. And I think... Um, I don't know about you, but, I, you know, the whole ceremony at Government House, all a bit swish, but you deserved it. So well done, Don. Yeah, yeah, the whole... The day was beautiful, David. It was very humbling for us personally, you know, to think... <laughs> I just didn't think we'd done anything spectacular, but uh, it is a place to be acknowledged. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. No, you deserved it. And thanks so much for joining us this morning. And I'll let you get back to the 19 degrees and full sunshine down there in East Kippy. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll enjoy it, but it is blowing up from the west now, so I think it might deteriorate, surely. <laughs> that's, that's our weather coming, Don. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's blowing idea. crazy up here. All right, see you, Don. Righto, bye-bye. Don Love, our friends at um, Bowyer Reef, they have just done a power of work. An amazing amount of work at that end of the world. And he was down in East Gippie saying it's getting windy and I had a text message from Dr Surf. I asked him about the surf and he said, it's small and windy, take Dad out to lunch. So that's the official <laughs> Dr Surf surf report there for the day. There is a surf report. Uh, fantastic. Um, well, that brings the show to the end. Thanks for your company, Anthony. And thank you, Dr Beach. We also want to thank Don Love. Um, dialed in from the beautiful far East Gippsland. And we want to thank Dr Alex Rattray who dialed in from the far west of the state on the other side from Warrnambool. Brilliant. And next week, loads more um, wonderful marine and coastal news and views. I think Bron's back next week and I can't remember who else is joining her actually. Maybe I don't know, John. maybe me. I should check my diary. <laughs> the doctors are now amassing. They're off the golf course and there's, they look like they're ready for a, a wonderful show. Thanks very much. Stethoscopes in hand. Indeed. See you. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.